0: Good morning. Are you loving this weather? (sighs) Finally. It sounds like by the weather we're going to get one week of fall, which is going to be enjoy it because it's about to end. I love fall, so I'm going to live it up this weekend. My name is Vanita Jones, and I'm honored to be a part of the teaching team for Women in the Word because I get to be here with you today and study about Noah again. Here we are again, still studying Noah you know, I also want to say hello to the women at West Campus, because they're joining us as well as we march through the first 11 chapters of Genesis. And I have loved it. I had a leader tell me this morning, and I thought it was so true, it probably dates, and you'll know how old I am now. It's like we took Noah off the felt board. You get it? Okay, all of you at Laugh get it. It was like the very first PowerPoint. The felt board. It kept Vanita completely mesmerized. How does that stick up there? I was fascinated by the felt board. I wanted to go up and put things on it. So I just thought that was such a great way to say there is so much more to Noah than the felt board. So much more. And I hope you're seeing that. In fact, I think I would do well to learn a little bit from Noah. And I hope you feel the same way. And you know, my first clue that the story of Noah's Ark was deeper than I thought was when I realized how many weeks we're actually going to study about him. And I realized that Noah is the perfect Bible great to study when we're talking about new beginnings. Because think about it. Other than Adam and Eve, he and his family, the only ones that were ever all alone on the earth. I mean, and Adam and Eve kind of had a sweet deal. They were created in a perfect, sinless world, not Noah and his family. So they were actually the first ones that had to start all over and redo and repopulate and start over from scratch on the earth. So I think Noah is kind of the poster child for new beginnings. And that's the first thing we should think of when we think of Noah. Noah. And to get some idea of where we are this week and the timeline of the flood, I gave you a an, on your outline on the back of your verse sheet is a chronological order of the flood. This cleared up a lot for me because anytime I read where they give you in the sixth month, sixth day, the sixth month, and the twelfth year, I'm, I'm gone. You've lost me after the first verse. That cleared up a lot for me, and I was able to understand how long they'd actually been on there. Last week, Misty led us through chapter 7, where we learned that Noah and his family entered the ark with all those animals, and then God sealed the door, and he opened up the heavens, and the rain started. According to the record that we find in Genesis, at this point that Moses gives us, they've been in that ark for about 157 days at the the beginning of Genesis chapter 8. 157 days that's roughly like five months have passed since God sealed him in that ark in preparation for the flood So when we look at that chart and we see that chapter 8 is going to cover a span of 220 days That's seven and a half more months All total we're going to learn that Noah's been on this ark for a little over a year A year and 17 days <laughs> That was not what they told me when they had the felt board I heard 40 days and 40 nights And I'm thinking well that's not that bad But a year and 17 days This guy had been on there A long long time And Genesis 8 records The end of the great storm And the beginning of new life Not only for Noah and his family But for all those animals And all the things on the earth That we're going to be regenerating And I think If you think about it They've been on that boat for a year Imagine that I had you do that this week. Did you really spend some time thinking about what that would be like? I think it would have been worse than I even imagined. I, and, and not only that, they rode out a terrible storm on that boat. And then they had to stay in there for days on end, not knowing when that door was going to fly open for them. They didn't know how long they'd be out there. And I bet you that boat smelled worse than a frat house. Oh, <laughs> My goodness, can you imagine what that had to smell like? All those animals and all that going on around the noises and the, it had to be dark. That's the thing that got me. I didn't even th- think about that. It was probably very dark in that ark. And it just, it, it had to be smelly, dark, humid. Someone said human today. I hadn't thought about that. Bad hair days for a full year. <laughs> Poor Noah's wife and, and the son's wives. You know, I spent some time trying to imagine that and, and what it had to be like for them. And I know that he probably, he probably, you know, was busy most of the time. But I'm sure that some of that time he had some downtime, and he had some time to think. And I, and I felt like this week I got a little taste of Noah. I, I read that we were having some rain coming this week. They were calling it the big deluge and that's not, this was. But I was thinking, I'm going to go buy my flowers clean my flower beds, and get them. And then on, on Tuesday, I'm going to go plant all my pansies, which is a pretty big, we have some big flower beds. I'm thinking that's a two-day job. Well, then I realized that Tuesday the rain was coming. I needed to stick with it on Monday. And I finished. I started 8 in the morning, and at 8 o'clock that night, I was scrubbing the, the dirt out of my fingernails. All the flowers were planted. All the weeds had been pulled. And thank goodness, because the next morning when I woke up, we did have the great deluge. And I was stuck in the house with three dogs. And one of them, one of them is a puppy that I'm potty training, only because I'm the one that gets to stay at home and do it. Everybody else gets to come home and love on the puppy at night. So I'm potty training this dog, and it was only two days and one night, not 40 days and 40 nights. But I have to tell you, four hours into that first day, it became very apparent to me why God put Noah as a captain of the ark and not Vanita. I was going stark raving mad with those three dogs fighting under my feet having to go outside to the bathroom it was a mess and it smelled they smelled like wet dogs every time I brought them back in that's just one of the many reasons that God didn't put me in charge of the ark there are a lot more we won't go into those but we read a couple weeks ago that Noah was a righteous and blameless man and that he walked with God and he followed all of God's commands without compromise but guess what Noah was also human He's human. And he was in that ark floating for a year. A year. And during that year, when Noah went up to that window that God had told him to put into design, I'm sure that when he looked out, there would be nothing in his sight except water. Because it said it covered even the tallest of the mountains. Everything was covered. Have you ever been on a boat or ship where you could not see land? This summer, we were on a cruise, and it was in the Aegean Sea, so you almost always see the land. But there were occasions when you'd go to the other side of the ship, when you were close to the land, and you'd look out, and it just looked like the water went on forever until it just met with the sky and there was nothing out there. And I started thinking, what if that's all I would have had to see for weeks and weeks and months and months? And I think I would eventually become discouraged and kind of feeling alone Maybe insignificant I have to think that during that time faith or no faith being human Noah had to have started to wonder if God had forgotten him and has God abandoned him his family and all those animals that he'd spared I would imagine that he felt alone insignificant and forgotten and you know I spent time thinking about how Noah felt it led me to think about times when I had been kind of in that same position I kind of felt like God maybe had forgotten me. Maybe I wasn't his top priority at the moment. I know he never had, but I kind of felt that way. My thoughts during those times included things like, I mean, after all I do for you, God, this is how you're going to treat me? Have you ever thought that? I mean, I've done that. I'll be, I'm up here bearing it, okay? That, I've thought those things. Have you ever thought stuff like, truth be told, I'm a mess. I probably didn't even deserve for God to save me from this. And I've thought things like, maybe I completely misunderstood those promises in the Bible. Maybe they really weren't for me. Maybe they don't apply to me. And those are just a few of those thoughts I've had during those times when I've felt alone or abandoned by God. And I bet if you're honest, you could add to my list of things that you thought during that exact same time. Because I'd be willing to bet that the majority of you in this room have felt abandoned by God at one time in your life. And you're not alone. You know, many of the Bible greats felt the very same way. Look on your verse sheet. David wrote in Psalms 10.1, and said, Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? David felt far from God at times and forgotten. And Paul, bold and brave Paul, in the New Testament, in his second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 1, verse 8 says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Even Paul. And think about Christ. The only sinless person that ever walked on the earth. He felt abandoned by God. Look at Matthew 27:46. My God, my... He says, in the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, if you have never felt forsaken or forgotten by God, then count yourself blessed. But as for the rest of us who have, I think the 8th chapter of Genesis is like drinking from a cool stream on a hot July afternoon. It is refreshing, and it should bring us great hope. It is a chapter of remembrance and renewal, and it reminds us that God never forgets us, and He never will abandon us. Let's start off today. We're going to read Genesis 8, 1 through 17. And I'm actually going to start off with uh, the last, ch- last verse of chapter 7, so we kind of get our bearings of where we are when we start. It says, And the waters prevailed on the earth hundred and fifty days. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts of all the livestock that were with him in the ark, And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed, and the rain from the heavens were restrained, and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days the waters had abated, and in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the 10th month, and in the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen." And at the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned to him to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited. Another seven days. And again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening. And behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days. And he sent forth that dove again. And she did not return to him anymore. In the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked out And behold, the face of the ground is dry. In the second month and on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. And then God said to Noah, go out from the ark, you, your wife, your sons and your sons wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, the birds and the animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. See, as Genesis 7 is closing, we see that the great flood actually had happened, and the water had been on the the earth for 150 days when Genesis 8 opens up. Now, you almost can see the clouds breaking and the rays of light from the sun coming through as verse 1 starts. It's like a breath of fresh air because it says, but God remembered Noah. Those are some of the most comforting words. Don't you think, but God, is one of the most comforting things you can read in the Bible? Because whenever you hear those two words, you know something good's going to follow. Look at your verse sheet. There's a few I'm going to record for you. In 1 Samuel 23:14, Saul is pursuing David. David is living in fear of his life in the wilderness, and he has his own but God moment. He says, "And David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness, in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph, and Saul sought after him every day, but God did not give him into his hands." And in Romans 5, 7 through 8, as Christ followers, we have our own but God moment, one that we can claim. It says in Romans 5, 7 through 8, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us. Even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Our moment is that very moment that Christ became our sin substitute and our sins are no longer going to be held against us. And I bet each one of you in this room can remember one of those moments when in the middle of the storm you saw God come running to you with his love and mercy. And he showed you his love and mercy in some way. And Noah's but God moment came when in chapter 8 verse 1 it says, But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. Now, when Moses, the author of Genesis, records that God remembers Noah, he's not implying at all that God had ever forgotten Noah, because we know God can't forget. He's omniscient. He doesn't forget anything. Moses isn't saying that God sealed up the door, opened up the heavens, started the rain, and then got busy doing something else and went, oh, Noah, he's still on the ark. I got to go get him off of there. It, it'd be like me. It was kind of like me when my kids were younger. I, I tried the timeout thing. It didn't work for all of them, but a couple of them I started out trying it. And my daughter Riley, if I would put her in the corner, she would in like 15 seconds start, "Mom, Mom, Mommy, 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 can I, Mommy, can I get out?" Constantly, till I finally just get out of the corner. It wasn't working. Taylor, on the other hand, my child who is the artsy musical, some would say ADD, I would say the reason I color my hair is the one that I could put in the corner. And if I didn't set a timer, he would stay there. And I have to admit something. I left him there for almost 45 minutes one time. And he never said a word. I would race back. If I didn't set a timer, I'd race back in there, and he would be sitting there like looking at his fingernail, staring at the ceiling, and then I'd go, okay, Taylor, you can get out. You can get out. It's, God is nothing like that. Thank goodness. Thank goodness he's not like me at all. Because he never forgot Noah. See, when saying that God remembered Noah actually means that God was about to take action for Noah's welfare. He was going to, he was going to act on behalf of a commitment he had made to Noah. Way back in the first part of Genesis 6. It implies that there was this previous commitment that that was made by God, and He was about to make good on it. Look at Genesis 6:17 through 19 on your verse sheet. It says, "For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which the breath of life under heaven." Everything that is on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Now I'm sure that when Noah began to doubt God's love or faithfulness, he clung to that. I think he hung on to that promise that God had made him when he sealed that door. And because God was a because Noah was a man that walked with God, I bet he also remembered that God would never forsake him. He would never forget him. And he would not forget those promises. He knew that because he walked with God. And because he walked with God, he knew that God was all-knowing, he was loving. He's faithful. He's perfect. He's holy. He's merciful. And no one knew that these things never changed. No matter whether there was a flood or a storm going on around him or he was stuck on an ark for a year and 17 days, he knew that God never changed. So, see, we don't have to wait till Genesis 9 for the rainbow. I think we find hope right here in Genesis 8. I think it should give us great hope. Even though Noah was enduring a storm in his life, God offered him a way of deliverance. And during those 157 days, Noah was never out of God's gaze. Ever out of his gaze. But even more, Noah knew that because of God's great character, he was going to act on his behalf again. He had hope because of that, and he knew that it was his job in the middle of that storm floating on that ocean to continue to do with faithful obedience what God had asked him to do, no matter how long that storm went on and no matter how long he was stuck on that ark, and he had to wait for God to call him out. So how exactly did God remember Noah? Well, I think we see it in verses 1 through 17. He shows us three different ways that God remembers Noah. Three ways that God showed Noah his love and mercy. The first one is God calmed the storm and he dried with the water from the great flood. It's a very obvious one. Verses 1 through 4 tell us that God made a wind to blow over the earth and the waters began to subside. It sounded kind of vaguely familiar to me when I read back in Genesis 1-2 that said the earth was without form and void and the darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. See the same Hebrew word, it's the same Hebrew word that's used here when they talk about, um, about about the wind. It's the same word except it's been translated as wind instead of spirit in here. So this flood had taken the world back to how it had been before God created it. And it was, it was just covered in water. It was void. It had no form. And then it says, a divine wind began to blow across the waters and the water began to recede. And eventually that water began to separate the land from the sea. And in verse 4 we see that the ark finally came to rest in the mountains of Ararat. That's actually found today in the eastern part of modern day Turkey where they actually have reports that they, they can find the ark there. The, the Turkish government has not been very cooperative, but there are people that say they've actually seen it there. And the waters continue to receive even more eventually. And on the first day of the 10th month, the tops of the mountains begin to appear. And oh, how Noah's heart had to have soared when he saw the tips of those mountains. Because that gave him great hope and he knew without a doubt that God was acting on his behalf and he was going to deliver him, that God had not left him, he had not forsaken him and was and had been all along working out his deliverance, even during the storm, even when it probably didn't feel like it, God was still at work, working it all out for his good and the second way we see that God remembered Noah is in verses 6 through 12. God gave Noah a sign that the earth was improving after the flood. It was a sign that the earth was going to get nearer and nearer to supporting life. And he gives Noah the sign through a raven and a dove. Now this was kind of a curious part of the story, and I had to really um, look into it and research it. But, but I, did know, I did see this. I think that, um, first of all, that Noah absolutely. Practice some major restraint. Because don't you think, instead of sending a dove and a raven out, that he would have just wanted to open up the door and go, looks good, and just race out. I mean, I would have. I would have been like the bird that flies into the window. Have you ever seen that guy? It happens on our patio occasionally. It won't happen now, because with the three dogs, my windows are covered in mud. But... And when I clean them, it happens occasionally. And a bird will come up, and they'll be looking in. And it, I just imagine this little bird brain is saying something like, Oh, that looks good. I want to go in there. That looks good. I want to do that. I want to be in there. And he just jumps up, and he flies into the window. And it sounds horrible. And then he kind of falls down, and he flutters, and he gets up, and he flies off. And I've had them each. I've had seen one die that hit a window so hard. It's terrifying. It terrified my children. And then I've, I've seen one that actually kept doing it. Like he would get up, hit it, get up and hit it. That's another whole lesson for a later date. <laughs> that guy has some issues as well. But see, I think Noah, if he had gone up to that window and he'd look out, he saw all that land starting. And I'm sure his human instinct would have been to go, hey, I'm going to grace out the door and check it out. He could have looked out that window and said, that looks good. I see some mountains. I see some land. It looks safe to me. I think I want to go out there. And then he would have thrown up the door, flew out there into a huge mess. And God knew that. God knew that. But again, we don't see Noah doing that. Another reason, I'm up here and he was on the ark. He cautiously watches and checks out the situation around him. He, he was active in his waiting. Noah wanted to see if the ground was dry enough to exit the ark. So he sends out a raven first. And with, then we see later he sends out this dove. Why a raven and a dove? Well, there was, there was a lot of speculation on it, and some of the spiritual aspects were really, really interesting and really deep. Just a quick overview of what I found on that. They, some believe that the raven represents those who want to please the flesh, the unclean animal. It was considered an unclean animal. And I think that that raven would look out over the earth, and it would see so many things that would bring it pleasure, and it would set out to get it no matter the cost. It would just fly out there and get what it wanted. The dove, on the other hand, represents the clean animal, and it was the one that wanted to please God. And I would say that it would fly out there, and it saw all the same stuff the raven saw. It knew that some of this looked pleasurable to it. But also, because the dove represents the one that lives close and pleasing God, that just because it looked good, it knew it may not be good. It may not be God's best for me, and I need to see how this lines up with God's Word. It knew that just because something looked good and pleasurable, it may not actually be what God wanted for them. And so it was willing to wait for God and receive his blessings instead of blindly chasing things out in the world without any protection. Now, that's my take on it for what it's worth. Now, what did they do? First of all, he sent out the raven. Remember, the unclean animal that desired basically, basically ravens ate rotting flesh. And I'm sure when it looked out at this world that had just been destroyed in the flood, it saw a buffet of yummy goodness. Because there had to be rotting flesh everywhere. Everywhere you looked, there had to be rotting flesh. It would have been so abundant, it would have looked like a feast to that raven. But it wouldn't have been God's best. Then we see Noah send the dove out, the clean animal. And the first time he sends it out, it quickly returns. Because I think it went out, it saw the same earth, all the same things out there, all the same rotting flesh that the raven saw. But the dove knew that was not what God wanted for it. It was not God's best for it. So what did it do? It returned to the ark. And it waited with Noah. And they waited seven more days. And then the second time Noah sent the dove out, it returned with an olive branch in its beak. See, I think that was a sign to Noah that the waters were beginning to recede. Things were starting to grow. That had to be a very positive sign for Noah. But not yet. He wasn't going to leave. He continued to wait seven more days. And he sends that dove out again. And guess what? It doesn't return. And Noah knew then that God was, that was a sign from God that the waters had dried up for the, enough for that dove to build a nest and to find food. And so he knew things were getting better on the earth. But what did he do? He continued to wait. He waited. And he waited 70 more days. Did that blow you away? I had to read that again. 70 more days. That dove is out there. It's probably already had babies. I mean, he waited 70 more days to go out of the ark, which was astounding to me. And then we see in verses 15, 16, and 17, we see the third way that God remembered Noah. He remembered Noah when he spoke to Noah and he told him to leave the ark. That's what Noah had been waiting for right there. The last recorded time that God spoke to Noah was over a year before that in Genesis 7-1 when God said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in in this generation. Noah and his family must have yearned to get off that ark. But they waited and waited for God's word to direct them. And at last God spoke. And Noah knew that God hadn't forgotten him. But rather he had remembered him. And we can know that during the storms in our lives we can be sure that God remembers us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. And I think Genesis 8 is our proof of that very thing. It should give us great hope. Let's continue on. I want to read verses 18 and 20. 18 through 20. Um, so Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of the every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Okay, now we see Noah doing what? Now Noah's remembering God. God had remembered Noah, now Noah remembers God. In verse 18, we see that Noah remembered God by responding in the typical Noah fashion with complete obedience. There was no long-winded, well, it's time to get off the ark. He just got off the ark. It says, so Noah went out after all. One year and 17 days, he just went out. And that didn't surprise me one bit, that he just went out. Because we see him time and time again obeying God. God speaks and directs Noah. Noah listens and he obeys. He had waited on the command to go into the ark. And he had waited on the command to come out of the ark And You know, just like Noah, we should acknowledge God in all our ways, just like him. Look at Proverbs 3, 6. It tells us this very thing. It says, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make make straight your paths. Noah definitely knew this. He waited on him for every step. We are under God's protection when we submit our ways to him and we follow his direction like Noah. And as Noah steps off the ark, the first thing on his mind wasn't going out to find a place to live finding food or planning some big party to celebrate their deliverance the first thing he did was build an altar and offer sacrifices to God as an act of worship he was so grateful to God for delivering his family that the first thing he did was lead his family in a time of worship and that tells me that Noah led his family by example he didn't just talk the talk he walked the walk and it says he, he offered a burnt offering to God. See, that burnt offering symbolized his commitment to God. Because in the Old Testament days, when you sacrificed a burnt offering, you gave the entire animal a bird. You kept none of it back for yourself for food. You gave all of it to God. Everything. So a burnt offering symbolized a total dedication to the Lord. Look at Leviticus 1.9b on your verse sheet. And the priest shall burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Noah's burnt offering showed God that he was serious about living a life of worship, a life that would glorify and honor God. And like Noah, we have remembered God when our lives honor and glorify God. That's how we worship God, with how we live our lives. And Christ is a perfect example of the perfect sacrifice to God. Look at Ephesians 5, 1 through 2. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. He's the perfect example of sacrifice. He gave everything. He gave his life for us. I want to finish up. Let's read the last two verses of Genesis 8. Starting at verse 21, it says, And then the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, and the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intentions of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall cease. Shall not cease, I'm so sorry. Um You know, Noah's offering was a sweet aroma to the Lord. I just imagine it brought a smile from ear to ear for God. But that's the first thing he did after being delivered. And God responded to this with the promise of renewal on the earth. He promised three things to Noah. And through Noah, the rest of mankind, the first thing he promised is that he would never again curse the ground because of man's sin. This was kind of confusing to me a little bit because of the original curse we read about in Genesis 3.17. But the Hebrew word used for cursed is different than the one used in the original text. I mean in Genesis 3.17 when the ground was originally cursed because of the sin of Adam and Eve. So we know that this curse doesn't refer to that other curse. Look at what it says in Genesis 3.17. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. See, it's believed that this promise in Genesis 8 had little to do with the original curse of the fall of man. But rather it meant that the ground would never again experience cursing by water like it had with the great flood. And then the second thing it promises is that there would never be another universal flood. See, God knew that the flood had wiped out the transgressors, but it hadn't changed the hearts of man. The heart of man had never changed. It was still sinful. So God was speaking these words of promise and renewal to Noah in response to the sacrifice. And that sacrifice that that Noah gave was a picture of the sacrifice that Christ was going to give for the hearts of man. And that sacrifice was going to change the hearts of man. And so he knew that on the basis of atonement that would be accomplished by Jesus on the cross, God would say a price had been paid. And I don't have to send another flood to take care of the sin because I'm going to deal with it through my son. And he knew that through Christ's redemptive work on the cross, justice would be met. His laws were going to be upheld and he would show his grace and his love to all of mankind. He had a plan for mankind's salvation and it wasn't going to be through another flood where it would wipe out only the transgressors. It was going to be one that gave, great sal- gave salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. And it was going to change the hearts of man. And that's the same offer he makes to all of us today, to all of mankind today. Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't judge sin and that there won't be some future judgment of sin, but it means that he won't judge again by, the, by using water. And the third thing is that there would never be another interruption of the seasons. See, during the year that Noah was on the ark, they were on, now we learn today, a year. So you think about it. While they were on there and there was all this water, there would have been no summer, spring, winter, or fall. So there was an interruption of the seasons while they were on the ark. I even read stuff, and there's so much information on this science stuff. It's really deep. But the one thing that fascinated me is they said that that the... um, The flood was so extreme it tilted the earth on its axis and that it caused all these changes in the world after the flood. And and those changes are really interesting and really deep. But if you're really into that, look into it. It's very, very interesting. But God was promising that he would never allow that interruption in seasons to happen again. He would ensure that God's creation would operate efficiently and orderly. With its seasons. And so we know that as the sun goes down and we go to bed, and then we wake up in the morning with the sun in our eyes, and we pull another month off the calendar, we can be reminded of the order of God's creation that He set in motion way back in this chapter, right here, in chapter 8 22. It, it applies to us. And, we're, and I know we're prone to forget, we're prone to take, take it all for granted. This is sunrise. Oh, it's a sunset the lunar cycles, seasons, the changing of the leaves, all of it. We can be assured that season after season, God's orderly creation reminds us that God is in control and that God keeps his promises. Oh, how he loves us. He loves us more than we can even imagine. You know, I think we saw this week that there are two more reasons that Noah found favor in God's eyes. We learned before that he, in addition to Walking with God, Noah also worked with uncompromising obedience. But I think we learned this week that Noah waits on God. And he allows God to direct all his steps. And then we saw Noah with a grateful heart worship God. And he committed himself to living a life in such a way that it was going to be a sweet aroma to his heavenly Father. And I think we would all do well to learn a little bit from Noah. Please pray with me. Precious Father, we love you and we love your word. Father, we thank you that your word never comes to us, void; that it just fills us and it teaches us and it directs us. Lord, I pray that you would make us women that wait on you, women that want to follow your direction and not take control of everything, Lord, that lets you control it and that we would be active in our waiting, Lord, that we would follow every command you give us. Lord, I pray that as we go out, that these words would change your lives. They would change your hearts. Lord, we love you. In Christ's name I pray this. Amen.